0: morning. So I'm reading Luke 7, and it's 36 to 50. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you how many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I'd like to preach now on those verses that Ben just read for us from Luke's gospel.
1: So Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. I think this, this story from the life of Christ is it's a, it's wonderful, it's challenging, uh, it's compelling, it's disrupting, uh, uh, it's, but it's also such, such a hopeful passage. There's so much going on. It speaks to us on many different levels and in many different ways. Above all, this passage is about the relationship between forgiveness and love. Uh, It's about how our own grasp of God's grace and forgiveness towards us, ourselves, has a very, very real effect on how we view him, but also how we treat one another. The Bible often calls us, doesn't it, to love God and love our neighbor. In fact, that's described in the in the New Testament as the fulfillment of God's law. And it seems from this passage in the life of Jesus that our love for God and our love for others is partly related to our understanding of God's forgiveness towards us. To know that you are forgiven your sins, forgiven all your faults, mistakes, regrets, that is a catalyst that enables us to love more fully, to love God and to love others, as Jesus says here in Luke 7. The reason this woman loved much was because she knew that she'd been forgiven much. Now, actually, I think that makes a lot of sense. For example, uh, if someone has a very high opinion of themselves and they think that they don't need any forgiveness because they're always right uh, then that sort of person is quite likely to have a low opinion of others and probably a, quite a self-affirming view of God. You know, that, you know, God thinks I'm great and everyone else really needs to get their act together. But then, of course, alternatively, at the, at the other end of the spectrum, if you're weighed down by unresolved guilt, you know, if you're carrying many regrets and you feel no sense of forgiveness of your sin, if you just feel unworthy, unloved, condemned for who you are, then you're quite likely then to be afraid of other people and what they think of you, and probably also afraid of God and what he thinks too. So one is a person who thinks they don't need any forgiveness. The other is a person who doesn't feel they have any forgiveness. And as a result, neither of them find it very easy in their relationships to to love, because There are barriers in the way, one way or another. But contrary to those two extremes, we might say, is this. If you know you are forgiven, if you know that, yes, you're imperfect, like everyone else is, but you know that God loves you and that God forgives your sins, then you actually can love God because of who he is and what he's done for you. And then you can also approach others without any competitiveness or one-upmanship on the one hand, but also without any fear on the other. But rather, you can love them. You can approach them as as one loved and forgiven human being to another. And you can see them as your neighbor, someone who God loves and someone, therefore, to be loved. So I think it makes sense that our own grasp of God's grace and God's forgiveness in our own lives does indeed affect both how we see God, but also how we see one another. The word forgiveness in the New Testament also means release. And the more you think about that, the more true it is. Um, Forgiveness frees us in so many ways. And in this passage in Luke's gospel, Jesus says forgiveness frees us up to love, to love God, to love our neighbor. And that's where God wants us to be, of course. In verse 50, Jesus describes it as a rescue. That's what the word saved means. And he says it's a rescue, you know, knowing God's forgiveness is a rescue that brings you into a place of peace in your life. Your faith has saved you, he says to her. Your faith in the forgiveness of God has saved you. Now go in peace, he says. And peace in the Bible means wholeness. It means to live more fully as God intends us to live. Now, Simon the Pharisee hadn't grasped any of this yet. We might hope, I hope that Simon, beyond verse 50, we hope Simon did come to believe it and grasp it for himself. We don't know. But as the story begins, Simon is the kind of person who doesn't think he really needs much forgiveness. In the parable that Jesus tells, Simon is like the one who doesn't think he owes very much, compared to another person who they think owes a lot more than them. Simon would be a person who feels they need little forgiveness because by comparison, other people are much worse and need a lot more forgiveness than they do. In other words, Simon is typical of what we all sometimes do. Let's be honest. Simon lives life here comparing himself to others and coming out favorably. Well, that's the plan anyway. It's very much like another Pharisee in another parable that Jesus told, if you remember, who A Pharisee who went to the temple to pray, but when he opened his mouth to pray, he just thanked God that he wasn't like everybody else who was much worse than him. But we can all do that a little bit in our lives too, comparing ourselves to one another and hoping we come out better. And it meant that Simon was very quick to look down on those who seemed worse than him. People like this woman who walks into Simon's house while Jesus is a guest at dinner. And by the way, that was quite normal in those days and in that culture. If an important person came to a town, a village as a guest, the door, you know, people, someone would invite them for for, for dinner and the door of the house would be left open so that the community could come and listen to this person, this important visitor. So this woman walks into Simon's house, but she's a woman who had a very bad reputation locally. And Simon's negative judgment of this woman probably seemed confirmed to him when she started behaving in a rather clumsy and unrestrained way at the table. She makes some quite embarrassing social blunders in that day. Uh, So instead of staying in the background, as would have been expected of her, she comes right up to the main table where all the important people were. Even up to the main guest at the table, Jesus, She was going to anoint his feet, but she starts crying all over them instead. To wipe up her tears, she lets down her hair. hair, And some suggest that that was often seen as a sign of impropriety in those days, if a woman let down her hair. She wipes Jesus' feet with her hair before kissing them. Eventually, she does anoint them with oil. But only after she's made a bit of a spectacle of herself and tripped over a load of social norms. Now, Simon, though, Simon's not surprised by any of this because he knows what short sort of person she is. But what does surprise Simon is Jesus. He's surprised that Jesus didn't say anything against her or distance himself from her because she, this woman, was a notorious sinner. And he, Jesus was supposed to be some kind of prophet, Simon thought. And Simon concludes, therefore, in verse 39... This man can't be a prophet, or he would have known what sort of woman this was, that she is a sinner. It was assumed in those days that true prophets had a a sort of God-given insight into people's hearts. So Simon concludes, well, Jesus obviously doesn't have that. Otherwise, he would know this woman's reputation, and Jesus would have distanced himself from her or told her off or something like that. But the irony in this passage is that Jesus does know the thoughts of the heart, but it was Simon's heart in particular that Jesus noticed. And so it was Simon who he had a word for to say. And Jesus therefore tells this parable of two debtors so that Simon the Pharisee will start to think about his own heart instead of everyone else's and think about the relationship in his own life between forgiveness and love. So Jesus tells this story, two people who owe a debt, one much greater than the other, but both are forgiven. But the one who's forgiven knows they're forgiven much, loves much, whereas the one forgiven less, loves less. In other words, the person who is keenly aware of just how much they've been forgiven and loved, no matter what, they will correspondingly often be loved, be someone who loves much in return in their life. Whereas the person who thinks that, well, by comparison to others, I don't really need much forgiveness. There'll be someone who probably finds it hard to love very much. So yes, this woman had lived a bad life. But Jesus says to Simon, look at her. Look at what she's now doing. And look at what you're you're not doing, what you didn't do. You never did any of these things for me. So the fact that this woman couldn't hold back her love and her gratitude for Jesus showed and demonstrated and proved that she had actually discovered and understood God's forgiveness of her. Verse 47, what it literally means, uh, to translate it, means, I tell you, because her many sins have been forgiven, she's loved much. So the reason this woman, yes, rather clumsily did all of this for Jesus But that doesn't matter, because the reason she did it was because she loved him. And the reason she loved him was because she knew her sins had been forgiven. She had not been written off by God, like others had written her off. God had loved her, and forgiven her, and welcomed her. And that's the point of the parable Jesus told. The person who knows that, who knows they've been loved and forgiven by God, will be able to live their life in love too. Love is the fruit of forgiveness. So for us, you know, we need to think about how we see ourselves, the world, everything really, God, each other. What comes first when we think of ourselves and God and as we think of each other? What should come first is the gospel, the good news of God's love and forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ. One person has described grace like this. Grace is gift. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is what meets you in your powerlessness, your despair, your helplessness, when you have no strength, when you have no answers, and it kisses you on the forehead and welcomes you home. Grace is the embrace when you don't feel worthy. Grace is the next breath you're going to take that you didn't even have to think to remind yourself to take, you just received it and you've been receiving your whole life. That's grace. And God saves us by grace, we're told. Though we're sinners, Christ loved us and died to take our sins away. And that good news of what God in his initiative has done for us will change us. When we believe it and receive it, it will change us from within. And therefore, what we do will change too. As John John puts it in his first epistle, we love because God first loved us. It's not that we loved God first and so God then decided, well, he'd love us as well. No, it's the news that God has always loved us, despite everything. And Christ even died and then rose again to save us. And that changes everything. That changes everything for us because it enables us to love more freely and more fully because we realize we've got nothing to prove. You know, life is not a competition between us. You know, imagine, imagine living life like that instead. You know, instead of the rat race and the competitiveness and the outdoing each other. Imagine living life where the basis of it all was that actually we're, we're loved and forgiven and Christ died for us and rose again. It's not a competition. Imagine living life based on that good news. Imagine a whole community Like a church, living, a whole community of people living on that. And imagine what difference those people can then make when they go into their towns and their villages and they live life in that way out of the grace of God. Jesus said, didn't he, now you go and love one another just as I've already loved you and then people will know what it means to be my disciples. They'll see it. And it will be so different, it could change the world. Now, the trouble for Simon, and sometimes for us too, is that we're reluctant to forgive others and reluctant to ask for forgiveness ourselves. There can be many reasons for that. You know, perhaps forgiveness makes us feel too vulnerable. Perhaps we don't want to think we need it, or perhaps we don't think we deserve it. Some people don't think they deserve forgiveness. And any of those things can hold us back from the love that god means us to live in and to share with one another so much so that like simon here we could even stare it in the face and not recognize the power of it now here was a woman of bad reputation but she was clearly transformed now into a woman of uncontainable love simply because in the middle of a sea of voices that were condemning her, the voice of God offered her forgiveness. The whole community talked about how bad she was. But God talked about how forgiven and how loved she was. And that had changed this woman's life. And it can change your life, my life, people's lives out there too. Because it's just as true for us. It saves you, as Jesus put it. It gives us peace, as he says to her, the peace of God. We have peace with him, peace within ourselves, in who we are, not trying to hide who we are, but knowing that God loves us. And, of course, the peace, which means to live our lives, showing love and faith in the communities that we live in. And so it's as true for you now as it was this woman in Jesus' day. Simon at this point didn't seem to grasp it couldn't see it didn't believe it hopefully he did but do we do i can i see it will i believe this good news of Jesus Christ and then live in the light of God's grace instead of living in an atmosphere of comparison and condemnation Simon uh, Jesus asked Simon do you even see this woman that's a really interesting question do you see this woman he might say, well, of course he's seen her. But no, Jesus is saying, if you're, if you're living your life in such a way as Simon was, it can prevent you from seeing people as real people. It's like Simon hadn't really seen her as a human being. He, he couldn't love her because he couldn't really see her. And he couldn't see her as a human being to be loved because she virtually existed just to be compared to for Simon. He could, he could only see her at this point in his life. Simon could only see this woman as someone to be compared to and then condemned and avoided, someone worse than him. I hope Simon's life was changed by what Jesus said to him. But, you know, we can all live life like he was. and Life becomes that contest again. And the challenge to us all from Jesus in this passage is, are you going to keep living life like that? you know, striving to make sure there's always someone worse than you so that you don't feel like you're too bad after all. But the trouble is we we have to bury so much of of our life to do that. And there will always be someone else who could say they're better than us. You can't win that game. It will lead you either into fear or into self-righteousness, but it won't save you. It won't bring you peace. Instead, Jesus is saying, will, will we listen to what Jesus is saying? Will we acknowledge, yes, we're all a mixture of good and bad. We've all sinned. We've all done wrong. But will we then also believe God's words to us here in, for example, verse 48. Your sins have been forgiven. You don't need to pretend. You don't need to win some competition with everyone else. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to grow weary of it all. What you need to know is that Jesus Christ carried all your sin and died for you on the cross and then rose again. And that means God loves you no matter what. You are forgiven, as Jesus says, and that, ladies and gentlemen, will save your life and change everything. It will bring you peace and you will be set free, which is what forgiveness, the word means. You will be set free on the wonderful adventure, which is to love God and to love your neighbor And to join others who are doing that too. It will even take you safely through death. And into resurrection. And life to come. Which God will bring with with Christ one day. And of course Jesus was uniquely able to tell us all of this good news anyway. He knows our hearts just like he knew Simon's. And he knew he could tell us we're forgiven because it was Jesus who carried our sins away at the cross. It wasn't just that Jesus was a nice person, so he said nice things, nor was it that Jesus didn't know the pain that is often involved in offering forgiveness. Jesus carried all of that on the cross for us. So those words of forgiveness are real. They are deeply felt by God, but they're also freely given to us. And that makes them all the more true and wonderful and life-changing. God really does forgive our sins. Christ really has carried them away at the cross. You really are free. You can love him and yourself. And you can love others without feeling threatened because it's all grace. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say, who is this? He even forgives sins. And Jesus says, your faith saves you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we want to live our lives in that freedom and peace. That, that, well, we just see it in Jesus, Lord. When we, when we read the Gospels, we see how his life, it wasn't that it was all easy. He went through so much, and yet he lived with this sense of freedom and truth and love. And we read the Gospels and we, and we think well, we want to, live like that will help us to hear that actually jesus says you can have that because he did it all for us he lived for us and showed us what life should be he died for us to take our sins away he's risen again so that we can have a new beginning so that we can open our eyes from this prayer and know that you say to us it's a new start now the rest of your life following Jesus and that even death itself has been smashed apart by that incredible life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Even death has lost its sting for Christ is risen. So help us to rejoice in that news ourselves and then take us out from this place full of that good news as we live it and as we speak it in our homes and our communities and in our world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.